Welcome, friends. You are listening to the podcast for First Christian Church in Fort Myers, Florida. To learn more, join us online at fccfm.org. It is a blessing to be able to share God's Word with you today. Thanks for joining us. USA Today in November a couple years ago had six things to do if you're running out of gas. Now, these are supposed to happen before you actually are dead alongside the road, but when your light goes on or you get a warning of some kind, they said six things. One, number one, is stop and get your bearings. Ask your smartphone where the nearest gas station is because it might be behind you. So it's important to know where that is. Number two was to slow down because cars operate more efficiently at a slower speed, although I'm sure law enforcement at times has had somebody say, why were you speeding? Well, I'm about out of gas. I was just trying to get to the gas station before I ran out of gas, you know? Number three is turn off the AC, that your car gets better mileage without the air conditioner running. So you may, if you turn off the AC, you may actually roll into the pump rather than having to push it that last hundred yards with that. Number four, I was totally not aware of, turn off your accessories. I did not know my radio used gas, but that's what they said. Number five was roll up the windows because your car is more aerodynamic with the windows up and you'll get a little better mileage. And number six has absolutely nothing for us here in Florida. It said, drive downhill. (laughs) Actually, they said if you have two gas stations and they're equal distance apart, go to the one that's downhill because that may save you from having to push your car. We started this series four weeks ago Not about our cars, but about our life tanks, how to keep them full and how to maintain because there are times in our lives where we feel empty and where we feel drained. And we realize that we are spiritual beings and emotional beings and physical beings and relational beings. And all of these are important parts of our life. And we've been looking at how do we keep the tank full in each of those areas? How do we make sure that there's not one of those areas that just We drained and we're empty and we crash and we burn. Week one, Matt talked about the importance of stewarding our energy. And he said, you know, it'd be great if every one of you made it all five weeks and said, I want to be a part of this. And I know last week was kind of a bummer with the weather, but a lot of you got out, but you watched it online. And if you're new and this is your first week, I encourage you to go back and watch the last three weeks as they have been good about how to fill our tank. Second week, Jimmy talked about doing the hard work of heart work. It's great to live in a culture now that gives attention to emotional needs. You know, some of us that are older, not me, some of you, that are older, our generation was, uh, you have an emotional issue and what does everybody say? Suck it up, buttercup. You know, that was it. You just ignore it and go on. Come on, be a man. I'm so glad that we realize that it is important to keep our emotional life healthy and that there are a lot of ways to do that. And Jimmy did a great job telling us about the heart work that we need to do. Last week, Matt talked about doing the working hard and then resting well. And I needed that one. I I am of that mindset that if you don't accomplish something every day, you've been lazy. And I loved that he told us that, you know, relaxing and rest is not equal laziness, that God commands us to rest and that sometimes not doing anything can be the best thing that we do. This morning, we want to talk about a part of our life that can fill us or drain us in its relationships. All of us can immediately think of two or three people that we love to be around, that we just are fed when we're around them. 
Friday night, Lynn and I went out with Matt and Janice and just realized that we just are fed when we hang out together. It's just a good time. Now, all of you can also think of somebody, don't say a name out loud, that just sucks the life out of you. I mean, you know, you just don't want to be around them. You try not to be around them, but sometimes you have to be, and they're just, it's just that relationship, and we all have those. Well, the goal this morning is how do we build some things into our families so that they give life to everybody? And everybody's in a family. I mean, some of you go, well, you know, I'm, I'm by myself here. Everybody is in a family of some kind. You've got brothers, sisters, aunts, uncles, cousins, parents, grandparents, grandkids. And if none of them are around you, you've got church family. 1970, Bill and Gloria Gaither wrote a song, The Family of God. You know, and it talks about that we're in family. And that's why we say it's so important that you get in a connection group. Because if you don't have any physical family here, you need church family around you. And this morning, I just want to talk about some things that we can do to make sure that family is filling us, not draining us in those areas. The big idea for today is fight for your family. In the book of Nehemiah, the Israelites had been conquered by the Babylonians and hauled off into captivity. And then the Babylonians were conquered by the Persians. Now it's 446 BC, and the Persian king is a little kinder toward the Israelites than the Babylonian king was, and he's gonna let some of them go back and rebuild Jerusalem. It was destroyed when the Babylonians conquered them. So Nehemiah goes back, and his job is to build the walls. And he gets the people organized, and he's building the walls, and about half of it's done, and the people were just about exhausted. And then some people that live in the area don't like the idea, and they begin to give them a hard time. They begin to threaten them. And the work comes to a stop. And Nehemiah gets them all together, and he says this in the fourth chapter, don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord who's great and glorious and fight for your brothers and your sons and your daughters and your wives and your homes. That's the big idea today. We have to fight for our families. It doesn't just happen automatically. There are some things intentionally we have to do. So this morning, I just wanna give us a principle that I think we know, but sometimes we forget. And then maybe four or five ideas. And, and my goal is if you can just take one of them home and apply it to your family, it will be a good thing for your family. But the principle that we have to get first is this. We have to do the right things in the right order. Right things in the right order. And here's the order. God, then family, then others. Jesus told his disciples, he said, if you choose to follow me, if you say my life will be following you, that might cause some problems with your parents and with your brothers and with your sisters. And maybe some of us know somebody who said, I'm gonna be a Christian and their parents just said, then you're not in our family anymore. But God comes first. And when we put God first, then everything else falls into place. And we say we know that, but sometimes we've not verbalized that real well. Sometimes we've not stood on that for our family. That's the why of everything else that we do. When we begin to talk about God is first, that answers the question. Jimmy this week told me that he had a pastor mentor that used to say, if you lose your why, you lose your way. And some of our families lose their way because we've lost the why. Everything we do is because God comes first. So when our kids or when our spouses, when our other siblings, whatever, when our family says, why are you doing that? Because God comes first. Why are you not doing that? Because God comes first. It's the foundation of everything that we do. 
that God has to come first. In the Old Testament, there's a place where Moses has died and Joshua has led the people into the promised land and he uh, conquered them and they've divided it all up and they're getting ready now to go and each live in their area, the tribes, the 12 tribes. And he gets them all together in Deuteronomy or gets them all together in Joshua and he says to them, okay, God says, if you'll make me your God, if you put me first, here are the promises. Your crops will grow, your family will be blessed, all these things will happen. If you don't, here's the curse. And then he says this, and some of you have this on plaques in your home. As for me and my house, we will follow the Lord. That's putting God first. That's a declaration that our families need to hear. It's the why. God first, family second. Family comes second. I'm thrilled to be a part of a church that understood the importance of that, that families come second, and its importance of recognizing that uh, ahead of others, that it's God, then family, then others. In the New Testament, 1 Timothy, Paul is writing to a young preacher, Timothy, and he's reminding him of family responsibility. And in the fifth chapter, he says, those who won't care for their relatives, especially those that live under their own roof, have denied the true faith. Such people are worse than unbelievers. Our families come second after God, but there's also a hierarchy in families, and some of you need to hear this. Your marriage comes ahead of your kids. Your spouse comes ahead of your kids, and your kids need to know that. And I know we are selfish by nature, and if we don't make that very clear, there will be a competition. Our children will compete because it's natural to take the place to take uh, the, the forefront in our marriages. And we need to say clearly to them, you come after your mom. You come after your dad. It doesn't mean we don't love you. You just need to know your place. Or we could say it like John Meredith has said to his kids, I can't make another Donna, but I can make more kids. <laughs> just so you know your place. You know, some of you, some of you have let that get out of sync. And some of you need to go home and make sure that your children know. Uh, Linda and I have usually taken a week, whether it's a conference or a convention or something, and we've not taken our kids. And they're like, well, why can't we go? Because we don't want you there. <laughs> when can we go? When you can pay your own way. Get your own room. Pay for your own plane ticket. Whatever. You can come. We might even run into you while we're there. But it's... Parents, there's nothing you can do more for your children than to model a healthy marriage. There's nothing you can do more for your children than for them to see that God comes first and family comes second. And others come after that. And that's something that we need to get right too because some of us have let others creep ahead of our family. And we let others take the place of time and attention that we should be giving to our family. Years ago, 25 years ago, the... Uh, we had a big Wednesday night program here and all kinds of things like that, but my son was playing in the county tournament in baseball. And I told the leadership, I won't be there Wednesday night. I'm gonna be at the county tournament. And they were like, okay. I get to the game. Tom Broom, one of our elders, was at the game. He said, this is where you should be, and I thought maybe I should be here with you. That's the mentality that we have, that we need to have. Others are important, but they don't come ahead of our family. And in ministry, it's difficult. Because some of you think you should come ahead of my family. Not this church. I think it's more people in the first service. <laughs> but you understand, I love you, but you will never come ahead of my family because it's not God's plan. 
Some of us have let some things creep in, whether it's work or hobbies or other things that we've put ahead of our family, and it's not God's plan. It's not the foundation. But then the third part of that is others, and we get to be in a great example to our family about others being an important part. Jesus gave us so many teaching on love one another uh, Consider one another's ahead of yourself. I heard a saying this week that I liked. It said, you can't raise eagles if you quack like a duck. And what that meant was some of us quack a lot. And then we expect our kids to be eagles. If all you do is chirp about every people group, everybody that's different you, everybody that you think is the reason our problems or our country or our nation or our community. If you just quack and quack and quack and quack in front of your kids, you're raising a bunch of ducks. But if you can teach them how God wants you to respond. So when you see somebody that you think, oh man, I don't, the question is, we should pray for them. God loves them. They just don't know Jesus yet. We should be praying for them instead of quacking about them. The foundation for a solid family where the tank stays full is God, family, and others. Now, let me give you five maybe things that you can apply one of these. Just grab one of these. I I went in when when I, uh, I'm a verbal thinker, so rest of staff you know, knows when I, I have to preach on Sunday, they should lock their doors. Because I'm just not walking around knocking on doors going, hey, let me tell you what I'm thinking. You know, give me some ideas. So I was in Jimmy's office this week and he was working on a new class we're going to start next month called the ABCs of Discipleship. And I said, man, I'm trying to find a family as an example in the, uh, for Sunday about the ideal family. There are none in the Bible. I'm like, do you realize all the families in the Old Testament were so messed up? I mean, I can't, I can't hold one up and go, here's, here's some things you can learn. I mean, some bad things you can learn not to do, but I can't. And he was working through Acts and he said, man, he said, you know, everything they gave that first church, everything that first church did, those are elements that should be in a family. And we worked on that some and he's right. If you go to Acts, the second chapter, verses 42 through 40 something, say this. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them. All the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders, and all the believers met together in one place, shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions. They shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes. They shared their meals with great joy and generosity, and all the while praising God and joining the goodwill of all the people. Five things we need to learn as families from that. Number one, Acts 2.42, verbalize what you're devoted to. We need to verbalize what we're devoted to as our family. And this is never too late for this to happen, but we just need to start clarifying, here is what we're devoted to. In Deuteronomy, when Moses came off the mountain with the laws, God said this to the people, you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road and when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. What are you devoted to? Or what would your children say you're devoted to? I read this great idea this week. I wish it had been around when my kids were at home. I would encourage every family, come up with a mission statement. Nothing fancy, nothing wordy. Just come up with something that defines you as a family. If I was doing one for my family right now, it'd be love God, love others. And I would say it every day. 
It gives you the answer for the why to verbalize that. Why are we devoted? We love God, we love others. Why are we going and mowing the neighbor's yard? You know, Because we love God and we love others. Why are we not gonna go do that? Because we love God and we love others. Why are we helping this? Because we love God and we love others. Let's go everybody in on three. One, two, three, love God, love others. You know, Just build you something that defines who you are, what you're devoted to. Come up with something as a family that says, this is us. This is how you describe so that your kids years later can say, man, this is our family. This is it. And they will carry that on generationally. Number two is verse um, 42. It says they ate together. Study after study has shown the value of eating meals together, of having those in the home. The TV off, the phone set aside, face to face, How are you? How was your day? What was your week like? What are you worried about? The communication that happens around a table does not happen anywhere else. And studies have been done that show the the closeness, the happiness, the joy in a family that does that versus ones that don't. When I started dating Linda, I was the youth pastor at her church. I know you're not supposed to do that, but we did. She was in the youth group, and the first Sunday I'm there on staff, I get invited to her mom and dad's home for lunch, and I realize that happens every Sunday. That's where the preachers go. So the preacher and myself, we both end up at her house, and uh, I realized every Sunday after, I ended up at her house, partly because that's what the preachers do, and partly because she was there. But that was a part of the culture of her family. That has carried over into the culture of our family. Many of you know, you know, you ask me, hey, do you guys want to go get something on Sunday? No. It's our family meal. There's 17 of us. When mom and dad are in town, there's 19 of us. When we drag in some stragglers, sometimes there's 20 or 21 of us. There's an adult table and a kid table. First Sunday that Jimmy was here, you know, I drug him home. I said, listen, it's going to be loud. It's going to be mayhem, but there's food. And so Jimmy was there. And it's like, but, but that is our family time. And that's an important time. And that's a valuable time. Some of you need to reestablish that in your home. We just need to say, when are we going to do it? It doesn't have to be Sunday, but when are we going to do that? Let's protect that. They ate together, the early church. Number three, Acts 2.44, practice generosity. We will either establish in our home an attitude of ownership or an attitude of stewardship. And our family will pick up on it. And when it's ownership, it begins to be draining to our family because it's all about what can we keep? What can we get? How do we protect what we have? When it's stewardship, it's about generosity and how do we bless other people? How do we share? And it will infiltrate our family and pass down to them. My kids still talk about 25 years ago, we were in whichever capital campaign it was. That's one thing about being in a church 30 some years. I think we've done eight or 10 of those things. But we were doing a capital campaign to build this building that we're in. And so our family got together and we were like, "How do we? what are we gonna do? And we decided, well, Linda and I decided, they didn't really have much choice in it. We gave up cable for three years. We gave up going out of town on vacations for, for three years. And we didn't eat out for three years. They still talk about that. We were doing something not long ago, and, and one of them said, oh, yeah, remember when we gave up cable? <laughs> you know, They weren't really happy about it, but they learned the importance of generosity. And when they see us being generous, it creates generosity in our families. It's something that some of us say, well, I'm generous. And then if you think about it, you realize maybe your kids don't know you're generous. Maybe you don't do it in front of them. Maybe they need to see it more. Number four, uh, Acts 2.46, they worship together. It's what we do here. I love it when I see us worshiping together. I love our family Sundays. I like that a lot of Sundays, that's not a family Sunday. Some of you still bring your kids in here. They will learn to worship from you. They will learn to worship watching you. 
and how you worship. Do you sing? Do you pay attention? Do you listen? They will see about how you worship God when it's not on Sunday. Do, does the music you play involve worship? Are there things that you do during the week? When you worship together as a family, it makes a difference. It explains the why. Why are we gonna go do this? Because what's our family motto? God's first. God's first in everything that we do. And the fifth thing is just model joy. Verse 47 says that there was a lot of great joy in the family. Joy fills us up. I love it when I ask people, I say, describe First Christian Church. People have been coming from, and they go, joy. It's one of the words that they describe this place. I'm glad that people, when they know our family, they know we're loud and happy. I mean, we laugh a lot, and uh, we're loud about it, and there's a lot of joy. That should be every family. Some of you have not smiled in your family in years. Some of you can't remember the last time you laughed, and it drains you and it drains your family. In all of scripture, there's one thing that it says Jesus was anointed with. It says the Father anointed him with the oil of joy. It's something that should be a part of what we do. Okay, here's our takeaway for the day. Some of us, maybe all of us, <clears throat> need to pick one thing that's popped that the Holy Spirit has placed on your heart today and go home and fix it. Some of you husbands have put a lot of things ahead of your wife and kids. And you need to go home and fix that. Some of you wives have not said an encouraging word or encouraging word to or about your husband in a long time. You need to go home and fix that. If your kids have slid into a place in your family that they don't belong, go home and fix that. Some of us have allowed some things to creep into our families that are not healthy. Our kids, we just let them watch whatever they want on a screen and whatever's uh, it's just easier than having to mess with them because they're, they're doing something they're taking care of. And we've let that, we've let our own hobbies, we've let our own problems, our debt, whatever it is, creep into our family and it hurts our family. We need to go home and fix that. We need to go home and say, here's some things I wanna do because I want my family's tank to be full not empty, and we get to decide that. The people in Nehemiah's time, man, they were, they were empty. Their tanks were empty, they were out of gas, they were ready to quit. Nehemiah said, remember the Lord who's great and you're glorious, great and glorious. Fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Some of us are tired, but it's time to fight. It's time to remember God. And how amazing it can be when we get the priorities right. That it's him, then it's our family, then it's others. And if we flow with that, if we live with that, the tank stays full. And families are an amazing thing. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you created us and you placed us in families. And God, we've been listening to your spirit speak to us this morning. And God, we know what we need to go home and do. I pray you protect us from distraction. I pray that you protect us from laziness, from fear. But God, that we go home and we take responsibility and we do everything we can to make our family a place where our tanks are filled. Thank you for giving us an amazing plan, amazing guidance in scripture. 
God, we thank you that you fight for us and that we can fight with your power and with your strength. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We pray this message has been a blessing to you. If we can pray for you or encourage you in any capacity, please let us know at FCCFM.org.